what happens when we make reconciliation between races or multi-ethnicity the goal it's an always moving target versus let's make the goal to know christ more and to wash the feet of our city and to do that in a diverse and multi-ethnic way then it becomes the beauty of what we get to experience rather than this problem we're trying to solve Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we've got an episode for you with Robert Gelinas. And Alan had a conversation with Robert about discipleship. Alan, why don't you tell us about what you guys talked about? Yeah, Robert's, I mean, just an amazing guy. Um, pastor of Colorado Community Church in Denver, been pastoring for a long time. And so I asked him questions really about longevity in ministry. Um, a huge heart for adoption, has several adopted kids. And we have that in common. But really what I love about Robert is just the simplicity of going back to Jesus. That's essentially what we talk about today, how we can't miss out on that personal intimacy and relationship with the Father. Yeah, and that's something that, especially if you're in ministry, and this goes for everyone, but particularly in ministry, it's really easy to swap kind of the things that you do for God with your relationship with God. And that's that works versus worksmanship that we talk about. But, and that is so easy to get wrong. And for me to regularly fall back into where the things that I do for God, my performance in ministry begins to define the relationship rather than just the simplistic intimacy and relationship that God invites us into. And so when you guys talk about that, I think that's such a needed reminder for those who are listening, because I think it's really easy to fall into that, that rut of being defined by what you do for God, rather than who and whose you are um, in relationship with him. Yeah, man, such a, a needed conversation. Um, we've been talking about hurry on the podcast. We've been talking about pace, uh, about saying no. But ultimately, I think that our relationship with Jesus is often crowded out by the worries of life, by our fears, sometimes by Netflix and by entertainment and by the things that we're numbing ourselves with. And so I think it's just an honest conversation to have to say, how is your intimacy with Jesus? Because if you are a kingdom leader, and your intimacy with Jesus is off, then where are we leading people ultimately? And so we just want to say this, guys, is that podcasting in general, and this podcast especially, is not a substitute for your time with God. You're just going to hear secondhand off of guests and thirdhand off what David and I are learning. Uh, that is not a substitute from directly going to the Father. Digging into His Word, I'm actually working through kind of a, a an at-a-distance uh, Bible study, studying with the Bible app. And it's a chapter a day. I get to hear other people's thoughts and commentaries on that. It's been amazing. But going straight to the Father in that, your time in prayer, how is your intimacy with the Father? I think you'll enjoy this conversation, but it is a convicting one with my friend, Robert Gelinas. Well, guys, welcome to the, another episode of the podcast today. I've uh, got a friend on the podcast, actually another Colorado leader uh, from Colorado Community Church. Robert Gelinas has been the pastor there for 22 years, an incredible multi-ethnic community, a very intentional church community that uh, honestly I've admired for a long time. I've had Robert speak before, and uh, today I want him to share on the realities of church, ministry, the long haul, and also his book, Discipled by Jesus. So Robert, thanks for joining us on the podcast. 
Thank you for the invite, Alan. Love the podcast. Listener, appreciate what you're doing. It's a gift to the kingdom. Well, thanks. And uh, love what you guys are doing there and, and continue to do. Can you just give us um, some of the waypoints uh, along the way? How did you end up here right now in terms of all the things um, that you've done over the years? To summarize it, when I was nine years old, I had a moment where Jesus grabbed hold of my heart and uh, introduced me to my father in heaven. And for me, uh, a young boy growing up without his father to discover that I have a dad and that that father wrote a book. And then when I got into that book, I have never been able to stop reading these 66 books that we call the scriptures. And so that was the beginning of my relationship with, with God. And then when I'm 16 years old, I had a moment where I hear a voice. I thought I was going to do something different with my life, but then God said, I want you to be a pastor. And and so then that began the reorganizing of my life around this calling and trying to understand what it meant. And then opportunities along the way that he gave me to to the point to where I was able to uh, start this church 22 years ago. And uh, our, our goal initially was to love our city and to be the kind of church where everyone in our city could feel welcome. And by his grace, he's made that possible. And I know that your heart for orphans, um, family has adopted as well. Let us into that, that piece of, of who you are and some of the ways that God's used you in that arena. Yeah, my wife and I, um, we had our first child biologically, and then there was just this moment where we both started moving in the same direction of uh, orphans in this world and specifically the foster care system to start with. And so uh, today we have six children, five adopted, three from the foster care system, two from uh, Ethiopia. And then along the way, we also started a ministry called Project 127 that's dedicated to making sure that there's a family waiting for every child in Colorado's foster care system. That's incredible. My, uh, my wife, and, and I don't know how much of my story I shared with you, Robert, but my wife uh, at 16 years old knew that she was called to adopt. So that was not something that I had thought about or dreamed about. Um, I wish I had. It just wasn't anything that I had thought about adoption. And my wife, it was a non-negotiable actually for us to get married. And um, just to remember her presenting that as like, well, here's a call that I have on my life. And, and that was a big moment for me, accepting that call and, and receiving that call. We also have kids from Ethiopia. And um, I look at it and just think, I would have missed out on such a massive blessing if I would not have married this woman and, and sort of been invited through her into this call. So man, love what you guys are doing and can't think of any better ways to be spending so much of your time and energy. Uh, discipleship. Discipleship is a huge deal for you. I loved your book. I got to read it early uh, and immediately endorsed it because of the focus on what I heard was simplicity. And let's go back to Jesus. So uh, let's talk through your book, Disciple by Jesus, a bit. And um, I want to read a quote uh, on page 123. You say, in the church, we have a way of putting people on a perpetual discipleship treadmill. In addition to not making it clear that everyone can be discipled by Jesus, just like the original 12, we also lead people to believe that they need to be part of the church's discipleship programs with no apparent end in sight, no graduation, and no diploma. Talk to me about some of the fallout of how we've treated discipleship. You know, when you go back to discipleship with Jesus, he discipled them for three years. And at the end of that three years, he released them to launch this revolutionary movement of kingdom transformation that has lasted for, for 2000 years. And you see that with Jesus, when it came to discipleship, he had a beginning, a middle and an end. And yes, even after he rises from the dead, he continues to disciple them. But there was this 
purpose for it. There was this reason for it. And, and oftentimes what we do, I think, in church land is, uh, like I said in the book, we put people on this discipleship treadmill. Um, the whole goal is to be in discipleship and in discipleship and in discipleship without giving them the reason why that that there's a call that God has on your life. There's a reason why all of this is going into your life. There's an end game, and that is to be sent to 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 go into the world. Um, the the goal of the Christian life is not to be discipled. It's 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 to let the discipleship that Jesus is pouring into your life result in something, and to give them that end goal is is what I was trying to get to there. So talk about some of the ways that we've perpetuated the problem, right? I mean, as, as church leaders, um, maybe we accidentally perpetuate that discipleship issue. Yeah, I, I think part of it is we think it's up to us. And that uh, in, in large part, what I was trying to do in the book was remind us that discipleship is something Jesus did and Jesus is still doing. And our goal as pastors is not to disciple people, but to lead them to the rabbi who is still alive. He rose from the dead. He is ready, willing, and able to do for everybody what he did for the 12. As pastors, what we're told in Ephesians 4, I, I believe, is we equip the discipled, that they have been discipled by Jesus. We equip them for works of service that are happening right in our own context. Um, but oftentimes, we just set up these classes and these programs, and we keep telling people they need to be in them, and they need they move from one step to another to another. They need to get other people into the same process. And I just have missed the point. Jesus is ready, willing, and able to disciple people. We get to go along on the journey. Yeah. Talk about that fundamental shift from uh, being discipled by someone. Generally, what we say, I've been discipled by blank, or I go through this discipleship curriculum. What does that look like on a daily basis to truly be discipled by Jesus? It shouldn't look anything less than what we read about in the New Testament. We see these disciples um, being called by and led by and loved by Jesus himself. And that happens even after he rises from the dead, ascends into heaven. His discipleship activity continues on in their life. And so what I'm saying is let's expect nothing less than what the original disciples had. And yes, there is the, the, the one difference, which is his physical presence. Um, is not a reality for us. But he said it would be better if he sent the Holy Spirit. He was clear about that. The Holy Spirit would be better than his physical presence. So let's lean into that. What does it mean to uh, embrace Jesus as our pastor and to choose him as our primary teacher and to pray in the Spirit in a way that we see Jesus literally in our lives the way they did? Mm. And I, you know, when you shared about this live at, at the conference that that I hosted and I, it just, it felt like a message that's been in you for a long time. It wasn't like, Hey, here, here's an idea. I'll write, I'll write a next book. I don't have anything better to do than just write a book. Um, when do you think this message started seeping into your heart, Robert? When did you have enough holy discontent to say, I'm going to spend 18 months of my life writing this into a book? I mean, as pastors, we care deeply about this thing we call discipleship because, um, Jesus was very clear in the Great Commission, go make disciples, but something didn't seem right. Um, the impact the church is supposed to be having in society, uh, oftentimes with all of our discipleship activities, doesn't seem to match the same impact that we read about in the book of Acts. And it shouldn't be less than that when we have the same Savior. And so the discontent came with, uh, are we making this more difficult because 
uh, I, I've talked about it in terms of a reformation. I think we need a reformation in discipleship that the, the first reformation that we point to had to do with salvation, that um, we are saved um, because of the work of Christ. But what had happened throughout history is, is the church got in the way and people had to go through the church to get salvation. And we needed the reformation as a course correction. And I think the same thing needs to happen with discipleship, that the church is important and small groups and Bible studies and all of those things matter. But that is not a substitute for the rabbi himself discipling you. And if somebody's listening to this podcast, Robert, and saying they have a growing discontent, maybe I have not drawn close enough to Jesus. Maybe I've gotten it wrong for these years. What are some practical things that people can do in this next season to lean more into Jesus and actually be discipled by Jesus? Expect the red letters of the New Testament to become the red letters of your life. I mean, there's a reason why um, when you read through the New Testament, you see Jesus speaking directly to his disciples, then he dies, then he rises, and the red letters continue. And just this expectation that the living Christ is still doing his work today. Uh, Oftentimes, you know, we'll say to people, would you like a personal relationship with Jesus? Because we believe that's true, that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. But then we do a bait and switch on them, and we, gave them a, we give them a personal relationship with us. And, and you can now, this personal relationship with Jesus begins by you sitting down with me over a cup of coffee and a book, and we talk about him versus I'm giving you Jesus himself. So just expect that. I love, I love that. One of the things I deeply admire about your church is how intentionally multi-ethnic it is. And we had a few episodes ago, we had Rich Viotas on the podcast talking about New Life Fellowship in Queens and, and some of the realities there. And, and I thought um, in your book, it was one of the most beautiful descriptions I've heard of a multi-ethnic and even just a diverse church in various ways. I want to read that. Say, at Colorado Community Church, where I pastor, you would see young, old, rich, poor, every race and dozens of nations worshiping, worshiping together. It's beautiful when God's people gather, despite perhaps even because of their differences. We're an interdenominational church. That is, we love what happens when the various streams of Christianity, Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Anglican, AME, Lutheran, and so on, flow toward each other as we can immerse ourselves in the vast richness of the body of Christ. We live and learn from one another on any given weekend, you can experience vibrant R&B, gospel-infused music in our worship center, a singer-songwriter vibe in our upper room, or the sacramental service where we worship Christ, aided by ancient liturgies. And of course, we sprinkle in a little jazz and hip-hop for fun. That's wow. right. Um, number one, that, that's beautiful. And that you guys continue to hold that space. I know that that doesn't happen on accident. What are some of the beauties and what are some of the challenges of holding space for that kind of intentional multi-ethnic church community? I mean, the beauty is you get to taste heaven now. I mean, we all know that we're all going to be present in the throne room of God, every language, tribe, and nation. And to be able to experience on earth as it is in heaven, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's absolutely beautiful. And even what I was trying to get at in that passage is um, while there's one major issue we need to deal with in America, and that's race. We need to see the racial barriers broken down in church. We also don't need to stop there. Um, it's a culture of diversity. So uh, what what I hope for and live for is just a, is not only every race present, but but 
uh, as many nations as possible present, but then also political diversity, uh, theological diversity. Um, the more diversity you get, the, the more opportunity there is to learn from each other, but also to grow. Um, when people disagree on areas that are, for many of them, are fundamental, then that forces a different kind of community, a deeper kind of community. And so that's that's the two sides of the coin is one, it's an opportunity for beautiful community across the board, but then also there's so much more to work through, which is worth working through and learning how to love and forgive and show grace and compassion and those kinds of things. There's, there's a lot of talk um, these days about, um, obviously about racism within greater culture and, and the um, just egregious things that, that have happened. And we see those on the news. I think there's a lot of talk about multi-ethnic church with, within the church. There's a buzz about it. What are you encouraged by in that conversation right now? And then what do you, what do you think we need to pay special attention to um, so we don't get it wrong in this season? I'm, I'm glad there's talk about it. And especially when, you know, I mean, the church has been complicit in so many different ways when it comes to what was wrong uh, in America when it comes to race. My, my encouragement would be to not make multi-ethnicity the number one goal of the church. Uh, keep it in the peripheral vision of your leadership, because when it becomes the number one goal, I think it also becomes your biggest problem in that um, I look at the congregation that I get to be a part of. And yeah, we have dozens of nations present, but then I look in the Aurora public school system and there's 150 languages. And so there's so much, so much more work to be done. And so I think what happens when we make reconciliation between races or multi-ethnicity, the goal, it's a never, it's an always moving target versus let's make the goal to know Christ more and to wash the feet of our city and to do that in a diverse and multi-ethnic way. Then it becomes the beauty of what we get to experience rather than this problem we're trying to solve. Mm, wow. That's, that's beautiful. And I've, I've seen that. I'm sure you have as well when that become, we forget why we exist as the church. And you guys have done that so well, Robert, you guys have like foster care, orphan care. You guys have washed uh, the feet of your city. I love that, that phrase. Um, you've been in ministry for a second. Uh, 22 years is not a short amount of time. We need more leaders who, who are continuing to go the long haul. And I don't just mean in their same church, in their same role. We see so many leaders who aren't finishing well. And we just see people who seem to quit on their faith, who seem to quit on leadership, who, who seem to somewhere burn out in the process and maybe you just don't hear about them anymore. So we want to kind of pick your brain a little bit on that. 22 years, what healthy habits have you had in your life to be able to sustain leadership within a local church body for 22 years? I mean, I think of the three S's that you find in, in scripture, you have Selah, Sabbath, and sabbatical. And so that was a, a framework I did not have when I started pastoring this church. And it was about eight, nine years in where I realized um, I was just burning out and I had to stop and think through, am I just taking the basics that scripture gives me? And so Selah, that little word you see in, in the book of Psalms, that there need to be times every day where there's just these moments where you pause and reflect and experience God's presence. But then Sabbath, where literally you do say, there's a day that belongs to you, God, that I'm gonna rest so that I can realize just how unimportant I am in the whole process. That, that sometimes we work so hard because we think we're the necessary cog in the wheel. And Sabbath is just the way that we realize we could step away and 
everything happens just fine because God's on it. And then sabbatical, just having those long periods of time that you, you take away to, to be refreshed. And so it was about nine, nine years in that I put those three things intentionally into my life and have never regretted it. Mm. I've never met a pastor that regretted Sabbath. They just said, man, I've wasted so much time. I would have gotten so much more done. I mean, it was about two years in for me. I mean, you made it nine. I made it two before I brushed up against burnout and went, man, I I can't do this anymore. I'll never have as much time, freedom, energy. Uh, And Sabbath saved my life. Uh, But I love that three S's, Selah, Sabbath, and sabbatical. Somebody's listening and they're in their 20s, they're in their 30s. And, and they want to go the distance. They want to go the distance for the Lord. What are just a few things that you'd put your hand on their shoulder and say to them, do these things, focus on these things. Don't do these things. What advice do you give young pastors? There's the practical, then there's the theoretical. And theoretically, I had to have a paradigm shift where I thought it was normal to kind of fill up the tank, then run the tank to empty and then fill the tank up again. And so I had this empty, full mentality, which ultimately I had to repent of, because I think when you go to the scripture, um, our, our souls were never meant to be treated like a gas tank. They never were meant to run dry. And we were given this other vision in scripture of a tree planted by a river of water that brings forth its fruit and season, and, and that we can be like a well that goes all the way down to, to the, the water table, Jeremiah, I think, chapter two, where it talks about... Um, the stream of living water. And so for me to begin with the right vision in mind that there is the possibility of a relationship with God, where if we are connected to him, then we never run dry. We are always full. There's always another bucket of water. Um, And to not settle for running dry and then being filled up. So that was one thing is I just had to have a different paradigm, but then it's just scheduling wise. The main thing is the main thing. I mean, time with my wife is in the schedule. Time with my kids. Um, How many dinners do my wife and I agree upon when it comes to uh, we will have together as a family? Because so much of ministry can happen in the evening where we just sat down and said, um, there will be on a a seven-day week, there will be four dinners that we will have together as a family minimum. Um, Those kinds of things just helped where it was just – not a negotiation, but a commitment to healthy family life. And then the same thing with God, just saying, God, what is, what is necessary for you and I to be so fully connected that that dryness is just not a part of life. And then like things like depends on what, what type of ministry you have. But for me, it's sermon prep time that, that that's, that's one of the main things that I need to live out the calling that God has on my life. And so that is non-negotiable in my schedule, those kind of things. Mm. Beautiful. Now, I wanted to drill down on sabbatical for a moment. If a leader gets a long break, it tends to be very disorienting. That's the number one word I I hear when I have friends go through sabbatical or coach people through sabbatical. Um, How were your, how was your sabbatical or sabbaticals? Tell us a little bit about those. I mean, for me, they were, the goal was not to set goals in terms of there was a product that I was going to produce because that's so much of what we're doing is we're producing things. And so for me, it had to truly be rest. And it took me probably three or four weeks just for my brain to turn off from the normal way of thinking to just get to that point to where I even forgot what day it was. And so literally having enough time for the brain to turn off to then experience the rest that's happening. And 
to not feel like I have to produce anything. I don't have to do some research project or read X number of books. It literally was go away and be, be with him and be refreshed and be with family. Um, so both of my sabbaticals, I've had two now uh, in the 22 years. I have another one in a few years have been right around three months. And the first one, three months didn't feel long enough. I came back and still felt like I needed more. The second one, because of some changes I made just in scheduling and, and um, adding Sela and Sabbath and sabbatical to my life, um, I feel like I'm not as hungry for the rest that I need when sabbatical arrives because I'm resting along the way. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Restorative. You're entering not maybe on a limp and you're always more tired than you think. If you're listening yeah. to this and, and you think, no, I'm, I'm good. Then you're probably tired. You just wait for the adrenaline to come down. Uh, if you think you're tired, you're probably exhausted. If you think you're exhausted, be careful. Your tank is lower than you imagine. So true. Uh, I just think there's no great framework uh, that's practical that we have for um, sabbatical. And, and maybe that's new. Maybe we're hearing that, but I'm encouraged. I'm hearing more and more leaders talking about rest and breaks and sabbatical. And I think if, if we don't, then I think our, not only will our tanks run dry, we can do a lot of damage uh, in the meantime. Last question for you, Robert, I think especially when, when we think about our kids, we peer 20 and 30, 40 years down the line, I think what kind of church will they be welcomed into? Um, what are some of your dreams for the church 20 years from now, the kind of church you want them worshiping in 20 years from now, what are those dreams God's put inside of your heart? You know, I've, I have these five phrases that guide my vision for what I hope for in the church. And because I think of it, if it's good now, I think it would also be good then, but it's worship driven, spirit led, prayer dependent, grace centered, kingdom obsessed that whatever form it takes, whatever model it takes is secondary to just those for me, are compelling phrases that drive that that a church is driven by the adoration of God, uh, driven by connecting with Him through prayer. That grace is supreme. That the kingdom is what matters. Uh, those kinds of things. So for me, it's those kinds of phrases. Whatever you come up with as a leader, uh, as you study the Scripture in the early church, are are timeless. And to not latch on so much to to the the model and the framework that it takes. Well, Robert, this is encouraging, always encouraging hearing what God's doing through you guys in Aurora and to the ends of the earth. Thanks for all the kingdom contributions that you guys have made and, and will continue to make. Uh, where can people track along with you and the ministry God's given you? Uh, RobertArgelinus.com is my personal website. Uh, you can find everything there. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, jumping in today. Thanks for all of what you guys do up there at the church. Um, huge fan and keep up the good work. Thank you. God bless. Yeah, it was such a rich conversation with Robert. And I think what I take away from it is that I need to make sure that I'm not just consuming more and more content. I think we are information rich and sometimes um, information overload, but we can be experientially poor. And, and so the question I want to leave you guys with is, how are you going to pursue your relationship with God this week? Maybe you've kind of lost sight of that. Maybe some of your rhythms have slipped off and you've just been consuming information, but how are you going to pursue your relationship with God? What does that look like for you this week?
So that's what we're going to leave you with. Um, we pray that this encourages you and spurs you on to pursue the relationship that God is inviting you into, and that that can be the source of your identity, your strength, your passion for your leadership and your ministry, that it all flows from that relationship. So thanks again for following along with us. Um, we're so encouraged by your engagement and encouraged um, just by you guys listening along. It uh, really fills us with life as we do this. Um, if you haven't subscribed, please do that. That will give you notifications um, for each episode that comes out Tuesdays and Thursdays. We've got some great guests that are coming up and some great conversations that we want to share with you. Um, so leave a review or a rating. If you have not done that, that helps us get out to more and more listeners. But as always, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Shot, shot, we ain't focused so long.